I'll ask anybody's questions but yours, if you're an idiot. My wife can score more than two buckets on 11 shots because I know my wife will at least shot fake one time. I want they bury me upside down and my critics can kiss my Ah, yes, the tears of joy continue here on the Made for March podcast. Tyler Aki and Tim Leonard. Check out the show on Twitter at Made the Number for March. Today we get into the Denny Greens, Tim. They are who we thought they were, the imposters of college basketball today. And we each picked five teams. I'm looking forward to this, as I always am with the tears of joy. If you missed any of the other ones, find us on whatever podcast feed you prefer. Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, all that good stuff. But this is where we get to call out some of the teams that we don't think are deserving of all the preseason hype right now. The not frauds. even If you want to crown them, then crown their ass. Yeah, not even <laughs> teams that can... Like, we don't even think these are Final Four caliber teams. Like It would be very shocking to me if these teams were Final Four, especially... Uh, I would even argue Elite Eight, Sweet 16. These are teams that, yeah, they'll probably make the tournament, but first-round upset is kind of there for the taking once we get there. So we're going to go back and forth. We've each got five on our plate, but first we have to start with this. The Ken Palm rankings are out, Tim. I don't know if you've seen them, if you've perused them, if you've gone one through three. What is it now? 357, I think it is, on, on Ken Palm, but... These, this is when you know college basketball is back, when Ken Palm's got his rankings out there, when you've got to renew that Ken Palm subscription, the best $20 I spend all year, and it How just kind of... he dropped them? Did yeah, he drop it I, on election night? <laughs> like, did he drop them election? I thought ten, he dropped them on Halloween. Maybe I'm wrong. No, actually, you know what? You are right. I think he did drop them I on think, election night. <laughs> I think it was election night, and, and then I woke up uh next morning and i saw people were joking like the data we really need this morning is out it's <laughs> yeah. the ken palm numbers <laughs> right ken palm is is trying to surpass john king right now for the most newsworthy man with the numbers it, it's it's pr 101 in terms of of news dumping right now ken palm dropping his rankings the boston red sox rehiring alex cora all that stuff i mean they, they, they should yeah. take they should be teaching classes, the people who are, are PRing both of those operations. But let's start with this. You want to kick us off here? Who is your first imposter, your first Denny Green candidate as we head into the 2020-2021 season? They are who we thought they were. So they were a Denny Green for me last year. And honestly, you can probably copy and paste this section and my take here pretty much every year for me. I'm just not sold on Texas again. And... Shaka Smart, I don't know what year it is now. It feels like he's been there forever. But to me, this is a hot seat year for him. He is a hot seat candidate because you look at Texas roster this year and they're getting a lot of buzz. The Big 12 is going to be good again. They're probably right around four or five in the Big 12 preseason polls, according to most outlets, which I get in some sense because they're super talented. This is a team that brings back a lot. They add Greg Brown, the number nine recruit in the nation. And the only thing that I have hesitancy on is we've been down this road before with Texas, and it's been the same story, the same song and dance, really, for the past five, six years of the Shaka Smart era. For whatever reason, he hasn't really maximized the talent down in Texas. He's recruited the talent. He's gotten some of those great bigs to come throughout the program, you know, the Mo Bambas of the world. They've had all these 
talented guys, and it feels like they start out well and then fizzle once it gets to Big 12 play. And I, I think if you're a Texas fan going into this year, I know they're playing in Maui slash Asheville this year. They've got some big games on the calendar. This is a make or break year for Shaka Smart. I really feel like the Texas fan base will be kind of up in arms if they don't produce because this is arguably the most talented roster in the Big 12, and I'm still just not sold on them. Yeah, they come in at ninth in Ken Palm for the upcoming season. Can we just call this how it is? Texas te- or, uh, Texas, and Shaka Smart are on the hot seat because football is not good enough. <laughs> like, yeah, it sucks, true. but the football team has never made the college football playoffs, so there's still that kind of aura of, oh, Shaka Smart. It, we need something to salvage our athletics program right now. And football, quite frankly, has sucked the last five or so years for this Texas program. And because of that, it feels like Shaka Smart. He felt like he was coming into some cushy position where he could go to Texas. He'd have the athletic backing, the funding, and all that stuff to make sure he was competitive. But let's be honest, the pressure was never on him. It was never going to be on him. And right now, he's kind of the victim of the fact that Tom Herman and the football program are not as good, and therefore his seat gets a little less cushy. Yeah, I mean, it's a big-name school, so there's obviously a lot of pressure that comes with that, and there's high expectations. He just never seems to get the most out of these teams, and I liked him at VCU. I really did. I had high hopes when he came over, but it just hasn't panned out, and I'm not ready to give him the benefit of the doubt after we've seen it so many years. They bring back Matt Coleman. He's a nice piece, but I can't tell you how many times I watched games last year and saw Matt Coleman pull up early in the shot clock and take an 18-foot contested mid-range jump shot. It's just a bad product usually from Texas. It's kind of the same type of thing every year, and I'm at a point now where I don't like betting on them. I don't really like watching them because, yes, they have talent. Yes, they score, but they just seem to never look well coached. And at a certain point, Shaka Smart has to be the victim there, and you've got to Got to take some of the blame and make a change. Now, maybe they get it together this year, but to me, I just think it's far-fetched to assume that this is the year. And nine in Kempom, that's way higher than most have them. There's always some numbers in the Kempom preseason rankings. I think we'll get to a couple other teams on our list today that really shot up in the Kempom rankings. To me, Texas is mostly considered a fringe top 25 team and maybe even a little bit behind that in some cases. So, I wouldn't expect them to be anything more than that. And I think maybe they'll win some games and they'll show off some talent here or there. I just don't see them being a true Final Four contender, true top two or three seed in America by the end of the year. Let me get to mine. And it is the sister technical school of your Texas Longhorns. And that is the Texas Tech Red Raiders. How about that? Two Big 12 schools, two schools from this the great state of Texas right out of the gate, but they're ranked sixth in Ken Palm. And when you look at the Ken Palm rankings, the Big 12 actually owns half the capital there in those in that top 10. And Texas Tech being another one of them. They're sixth, like I mentioned. But to me, when I look at this, there's just too many guys that have transferred up. When you look at Joel and Tim, I, I don't even know how to say this name, but Joel and Tomwe from UNLV, and then Marcus Santos Silva <laughs> from VCU. Yeah, hopefully hopefully no one's too offended by my my lack of pronunciation there. But it's just, to me, you've got, and we've seen the numbers that back this up. Guys who transfer up, it doesn't always work out. 
And that's unfortunately a lot of what Texas Tech has this year. They've got that going with them, not to mention the fact that they're also bringing in Mac McClung. But I think right now we're about to find something out about Mac McClung. Was he just an empty calories guy at Georgetown? I mean, is I he, he the, the Zach Levine, the Devin Booker? Is that what he was? And I think you and I are both kind of in that camp because, let's be honest, Georgetown has not been a good team these last couple of years. And someone, of course, has to take the reins, and it just so happened to be Mac McClung. To me, they are a clear-cut fourth or worse in the Big 12 behind Kansas, Baylor, and West Virginia right now. And I just, I'm looking forward to see what happens with this Texas Tech team. Because you know what, Tim? You know what I realized when I was doing my Texas Tech research? I think Jared Culver is going to go down as one of the most underappreciated players of the last decade. Oh, for sure. I mean, this guy, I'm not going to say single-handedly brought them to the national championship game and literally had them on the doorstep of winning the whole thing. But he carried, I mean, he was the front horse carrying the wagon, no doubt. And... He, was care- he wasn't getting a lot of external support as well, as, as much as people think in that run. Now, he did have guys like Tariq Owens, Davide Moretti, and all that stuff, but I, I just haven't seen the continuity there. And, I mean, this was a Texas Tech team last year that was supposed to be so good, and they were outside the top 25, and I get that some of it's due to injuries, but those guys that were injured last year aren't coming back. When you look at Jameis Ramsey, he's not coming back. Uh, and then you're losing a number of other key guys. Davide Moretti, Moretti's Chris gone. Clark. I mean, yeah. there are some very, very important But they teams. have, I mean, I'm, I'm going to push back on you a little bit here. I have Texas Tech as a guy, Lewis. And you make up some, some good points there. You bring up some good points. They still have a lot of key returners, though. Terrence Shannon's back. Kyler Edwards is back. Those are arguably two of the most underrated players in the country, in my book. And this is a system at Chris Beard's program and what we've established there is that they're going to give you defense and they're going to be a headache for you at times night in and night out so maybe they aren't going to be a top three team in the big 12 but to me their floor can only be so low when it's Chris Beard and they have the principles in place there defensively that I expect them to continue to be very strong defensively this year I don't know where McClung fits in we talked about that some last week He's a big mystery to me, and I'm a little worried about that fit. I'm kind of concerned that he just doesn't give them what they're exactly looking for. But they have a five-star transfer, best recruit basically in their program history, and Burnett coming in. He'll basically be what Ramsey was last year, which was a little inconsistent, but still your go-to guy that kind of filled that Culver role. But are we sure about that with with Namari Burnett? I mean, I like him too. I think he can be good, but he has dropped a little bit in the recruiting rankings. He's lost that fifth star, and I don't know if he's necessarily ready for that right away. And then you do add Mac McClung, and he's a guy who can turn it over a little bit. And this is already a team that struggled last year with turning the ball over. And on top of that, they weren't a great rebounding team. From a season ago. And I just don't know how that's necessarily going to get better this season. Yeah, I guess you need Santo Silva to be a big piece and and improve for you. He's going to be a key guy. I don't know what the deal is with Burden. I think last I checked, the Wichita State transfer, that he was sort of debating whether he would use the waiver this year or not, given the depth on this year's team. And he's got a little bit of ways to go, I guess. But I mean, Kempom has them as fifth in defense this year. So right there, you know that their floor cannot be too low in my eyes. I just, I think Chris Beard, we have to give him some respect. And last year, yes, they may be underwhelmed a little bit, 
But that was fresh off, obviously, going to the national title game. They lose Culver. And I think what we learned last year is Ramsey and some of the guys like Edwards and Shannon were just too young. Ramsey was great, but now he leaves. Shannon and Edwards come back. And they also have a couple other pieces coming back, too, that now have another year in Chris Beard's system. So you're not looking at a team that is young this year. You're looking at a team that, yes, is adding some transfers, but they also have some key players returning, which have those Chris Beard principles. All right, who do you have next? Okay, um, let's just go to my hottest take. <laughs> Ooh, let's just go into okay. We're going to play with fire Iowa. at second in the order. Yeah, so Iowa is obviously getting wow. a ton of hype. I know, I know. This is... This is kind of out there, even for for a hot take standards. They are a top five team nationally. I think most consensus would say we'll see the preseason poll and they'll be right there. They basically bring everyone back. And they also lost Jordan Bohannon to injury. They had a couple other injuries. Patrick McCaffrey was injured last year. You hope to have him as more of a key cog this year. Uh, Nunge was injured for a good chunk of the season. So you bring Garza back, you bring the whole squad back. And my thing with Iowa is simple. It's it's basically going to be the same team as last year. And what were they last year? They were great offensively, and they're going to be great again offensively. But defensively, they just stink. And I can't get past that. I can't, I'm sorry, I can't put a Final Four contender, top five, top ten team in America, all the way in that conversation if you're just bad on one side of the ball, defensively especially for me. So Ken Palm projects them to be 73rd on defense this year, and that's even optimistic in my eyes because I'll read you the last five years now of Iowa's uh, Ken Palm defensive efficiency ranking. Last year, 97th in Ken Palm on defense, 12th in the Big Ten. Year before that, 111th. Year before that, 242nd Ken Palm defensively. Then 2017, 123rd, Ken Palm defensively. Then before that, these are all obviously with the same coach, Fran McCaffrey. He did have a 30th in Ken Palm, which I think would be rude for me to not mention one good season in 2016. But the last four years, all around the outside of the top 100, last year 97th, I kind of dug through the final fours and what it takes to make the final four and how those teams fared on Ken Palm. I found one team in the past decade, past 10 years, that made the Final Four and was outside the top 45 in Ken Palm defensive efficiency at the end of the season. It was VCU, Shaka Smart, shout out to him again, in <laughs> 2011. For, not not really for Shaka Smart. Yeah, love and hate <laughs> for Shaka. But, so VCU, they were an 11 seed that year. They made the Final Four. They had the 45th or 46th worst defense, or best defense, I should say, in the country, according to Ken Palm that year. And they were kind of a fluky get to the Final Four. Outside of that, no one has made it. And I bet if you crunch the average, as we know and as we've come to see, there's been a lot of stalemates, a lot of low-scoring games and Final Four games because it requires defense to get to that next tier. And I just don't think Iowa has the defense this year, and they didn't have it last year, and I don't see how they get better. And to your point, too, listen, Iowa's going to sound like a very scorching take, and even when you texted me about it, I was kind of like, whoa, like, are you actually going to do that? But I think you bring up some great points there. And, and guess what? In the Big Ten, if you don't have your pencils sharpened every night, you're going to lose a lot of games this year. You could right. be a, a 500 team in the Big Ten. Now, you have the best player, not just in your conference, but maybe in the entire country with Luca Garza coming back, which is 
maybe the biggest boon that any team received in all of the sport this year. But when I look at Iowa, I, I think you're, I'm starting to come around to your side that they could be one of those Love fraudulent it. teams because, yeah, the defense isn't great. And if your defense isn't great and we know that the Big Ten, it's going to be tough to win on the road again this year. Yeah, I think you bring up a lot of very good points. Now, I do think there are some teams in the conference that have really dropped off from a season ago, maybe like a Maryland when you look at them. But Illinois, I mean, you've got multiple title contenders in your conference. And if you want to be considered among them, you've got to play a great defense night in and night out. And like like you said, Iowa's not going to do that for you this year. I mean, they're a top 20 team. I just oh, don't yeah. have them top mm-hmm. 10. Right. And that's where I'm at with them. And the other thing is, Fran McCaffrey, to me, hasn't really proven it. I know he has never been higher than a seven seed at Iowa so far in his career, and they would have been probably a five or a six seed last year. But still, I mean, they were a fringe top 25 team last year. So catapulting them to the top five conversation is just premature for me, considering the history in McCaffrey. It's kind of like Scott Drew Baylor. Maybe he is going to prove it this year, and now we kind of put Scott Drew in a different category, I'd say, after what he's done in the past couple seasons, most notably last year. But I I just don't know if Fran McCaffrey is an elite coach yet based on what he's had talent-wise, and he's never been able to produce solid defensive numbers. And they, I mean, they're going to struggle transition defense. They just don't have quickness on the defensive side of the ball. And I know that it's kind of like a a stereotype when when you look at the Iowa roster, but I I really think that's where they could get exposed. Garza is going to be unreal. They're going to be great offensively. They're going to be fun to watch. But to me, they're just not in the top 10 nationally conversation. All right, let me give you another Big Ten team here. I'm going Indiana. I feel like the Indiana hype train has been chugging along. Coming into the year, 26th in Ken Palm. You lose your best player in Devontae Green. You couldn't figure it out with Justin Smith. He transfers over to Arkansas. And the depth concerns me in a conference that, let's be honest, top to bottom, deepest in the country. No doubt about it. And, I mean, I'm looking through some of these season previews and everything, and some of the guys that do the best work, three-man weave. What they like to do is they like to tier teams in their conferences, okay? The Big Ten, the first tier is nine teams deep. And I don't disagree right. with it. And I find Indiana much closer to nine than I do to five. And I think they ended up being like seventh in their in their tier. But you've got four freshmen that are coming off the bench. Maybe Christian Lander, who reclassified, will will start. But I don't love the guards that they have there. Rob Finnessy has has been he's been all right. But the depth concerns me there. And the freshmen, let's be honest, outside of Christian Lander widely unimpressive of what Archie Miller has brought in. And I just, you look at some of these guys that are reclassifying like Christian Lander, if he is going to be your impact guy. And again, he was a five-star in the class of 2021, but he bumps himself up to 2020. Can he prove it? Can he show that he is a top 30 player in this 2020 class? That's kind of what we're looking at right now. And the reclassification thing always kind of scares me a little bit. I think it's one of those things that the fan bases get super excited about because, oh, we get this big name recruit a year earlier. Well, it doesn't always work out that way unless you're like a, a Marvin Bagley. Like he's one of the, the exceptions to that because he reclassified and he reclassifies and becomes the number one player in the new class. Like that's how special of a talent he was. So Indiana concerns me a little bit. We'll see what Trace Jackson Davis can do. But overall, he's awesome. Yeah, he is a lot of fun to watch. But 
Remember with Indiana too, sometimes we see these guys who are pro-bound and their their focus starts to wane a little bit towards the end of the season. And yeah. I don't want to see that with Trace Jackson Davis because I think he's a special player, but let's just keep that in the back of our minds a little bit. I was a little surprised he did not test the waters at all, which I guess is kind of good that he was that committed to coming back to Indiana, but he will definitely be in that conversation this year. He Honestly, I thought about him as a tray tracker of mine, but Indiana, I think, is just a little bit too good for yeah, that. Yeah, they are. At least, mm-hmm. what, what, yeah. So, I mean, he's he's definitely an excellent player. He, he could be in the all-first-team Big Ten conversation when it's all said and done, but you're right. They, they have a lot of young guys that have have been unproven and have to give them a lot offensively and defensively each night in a very tough league. And I don't know. I mean, Archie Miller hasn't really done a great job maximizing the talent that he has brought in. I don't know if he's quite on the hot seat, but he's kind of in that Shaka Smart vein of, okay, Archie, like we know you can recruit, but can you do the X's and O's? Yeah, the, I mean, the backcourt right here, you've got Finnessy, Durham, and and Hunter. Like, does that, does that get your juices going at all? Maybe, okay, maybe you throw Christian Lander in there, but does that yeah, get anything going probably. for you? Like, I just, yeah. I don't see it right now. I, I really don't. And we'll see. They're going to have to put up some points in the Big Ten or play spectacular defense all season long. But I, I'm I'm not sold on the guards, and I think this is, I mean, we see it year after year. You better have either the best big man in the conference or or you're going to be well last year there were a lot of great big men but i think we're going to start to see this conference revert more towards a a guard oriented conference this season yeah the thing with them is you're just hoping that trace jackson davis takes such an incredible sophomore leap that it puts them into a conversation of one of the top 10 or sorry one of the top teams in the big 10 yeah and i think you're right this entire exercise needs we need to always throw out the reminder here we're throwing out 10 teams at you all 10 of them are probably going to make the tournament. Maybe nine or eight. But yeah. most of, the, if not all of these teams are going to make the tournament. Just don't be surprised when they lose in the first round. That's all we're going to say. Yeah, I mean, all I'm doing this off of is I think they will underperform their preseason rankings. And usually we look to the teams that are getting that preseason buzz and the preseason hype. And, you know, a lot of cases these the answer to some of why I have these teams is pretty similar it's because they haven't proven it they don't have the history and maybe in this in this instance this year I was really looking at teams that just don't have a lot of continuity back from last year and are asking a lot of new players to do a lot of new things on both ends because given what we know about this season I think that's going to be asking a lot. And and that's across the line in sports right now. In NFL, and NBA, any teams that are coming out of, you know, a shortened offseason and you don't have the continuity, I think it makes it tougher. Absolutely. All right, who do you have next? Okay, I'm going to go to the ACC. And I don't know, maybe you'll push back on me on this one a little bit, but Louisville, to me, getting a little bit too much buzz. All right, sell me. I think it... Yeah, it goes back to what I was talking about. They, they're they asking a lot of these freshmen from last year who were so-so to be very big-time players for them. They also bring in Carlick Jones. He's a solid transfer. I think he was the only guy in the NCAA last year to average 25-5, and five, but comes from a smaller school. Right, now I was going to say, he's, he's to... a small school guy. Is he a JUCO guy? 
I think he might be a JUCO, yeah. Because he was looking at, in front of me. at transfer or of just going to the draft, I think, for a, a hot second. And then I think he tested the waters and then decided to come back. But if I remember correctly, this is a JUCO guy. Yeah, he's from Radford. That's the school. I couldn't oh, remember okay, gotcha, gotcha. off the top of my head. But yeah, so he averaged 25-5 and five for Radford. But what does that mean in the ACC level? I've seen a lot of buzz in the sort of Louisville circles. Chris Mack speaking very highly of him. That's a good sign. But the other thing with Louisville... They've got injury concerns between Malik Williams, who's going to be their senior center, and Samuel Williamson, who's a sophomore that's coming back. Very good freshman season for him, asking him to make a leap. They both have not practiced at all so far this year. And obviously, it's college athletics. We don't know the full extent of these injuries, but that's a red flag to me. David Johnson's going to be their guy. He's going to be very good, and some people have him as high as first team All-ACC. He only averaged six points last year, so... You're he had the one game where huge... he went off. I'm trying to remember what, what game that was. Yeah. The one game where he went absolutely off. Yeah, I'm trying to remember. I know what you're up. talking you about. Stall. Right. Okay, so he's a sophomore now, but they're losing a lot from last year. I mean, Wara is gone, obviously. We were critical of him at times last year, but he's a huge yeah, piece is that a, to what Is that they an did. addition by subtraction to a degree uh, for this Louisville he... team? Like, are they going to play more of a team Chris Mack style of basketball now? I think that is the case for them is Chris Mack's really good and he'll find a way to kind of do with what he has here. But I look at a team that already has injury issues and is asking a lot of not newcomers, but sophomores that didn't do a ton last year statistically to jump into being key members and being key contributors. I mean, there was a lot of shooting, a lot of scoring. Ryan McMahon is gone, which he is. Are we sure about that? Are, yeah, are I know. Sure? I was going to say. He you want to double check he that? He was all, uh, wh- what is the category I'm, I'm looking for? I guess the, the, the player that, is he, he still there? Yeah, yeah, all old team, basically. So he is finally gone, and it's a young are team. Are you sure he's not on the staff or something like that? Like, he, he might He's not be. leaving, right? leaving, that, that leaving I right? Know. He can't be. Right. He'll be picking up that, towels, that wiping floors, me. something. Right. But Enoch's gone, too. Kimball's gone. Dwayne Sutton's gone. They lose a lot. So I just think... In the ACC, they're not going to be up there. Like, to me, the ACC is tiered pretty clearly as there's four really good teams. There's the UN, the same teams we usually see. There's Duke, UNC, Virginia, and then Florida State, which is now year after year seems to be getting themselves in that conversation. I probably would separate Duke and Virginia in tier one, and then I'd put the uh, Florida State and UNC tier. But after that, I think there's a drop-off. And a lot of people would tell you that Louisville is in that top tier of the Florida State UNC tier. I just think their floor is is pretty dang low, considering that the injuries have already happened and they've got a lot of youth on that team. Yeah, David Johnson, his go-off game, which in hindsight isn't much of a go-off game, but it was against Duke, 19 points and 7 assists. Also had 5 turnovers in that game, too, uh, in their win against Duke from a season ago. But no, I get I get what you're saying there. I just think, and while I, I largely agree with you, too, but Samuel Williamson strikes me as one of those guys. He's going to turn into just the classic, like the way, just watch him play. Isn't he just a classic yeah, he's really college good. basketball guard? I think he was pretty highly touted. He may have even been a five-star or a McDonald's All-American coming out, but he just is a college basketball guard. Watch the way he plays the game. It's very reminds me a little bit of Jalen Brunson and, and Scotty Reynolds and some. He's just a college basketball guard. He feels like a four-year guy, even though he probably won't be a four-year guy. But we'll see how all that shakes out. All right, my next one for you here. I'm gonna go 
to the AAC, not the ACC, the AAC, and give you okay. Houston. The really? Cougars, All right. a team that a lot of people are high on this year. I am not as much, and here's why. I just think Memphis is a significantly better team. They're bringing back a lot of good pieces, and Penny Hardaway knows how to bring them in. All right? To me, Dejan Giroux and Quentin Grimes simply underperformed last year. Those were two of the guys that you thought would take a huge step. And they, they quite frankly haven't. I mean, Quentin Grimes, what was he? He was a top five uh, recruit in his class, a, a former Kansas yep. guy, and got that immediate eligibility to come play for Kelvin Sampson. I mean, are we sure that Caleb Mills can carry this team? And they're I not. A, I love Caleb Mills. You're a big Caleb. So I mean, I'm not saying Caleb Mills is a bad player. I'm just saying, is he a guy who can carry this team in a conference that is getting that always just gets better and better? Like, we, we can crap on the AAC all we want for being the AAC and thinking it's the Power Six or the Power Seven or whatever they want to call it. But they just keep getting better and better year after year. Let, let's call it how it is. And this Houston team is not a great shooting team. And in a uh, when you look at this program and, and in a conference that's continually to getting better, I just don't know how often you can win ugly. In, in the AAC. And we'll see how that transpires this year. Now, Wichita State, they've got their own issues to answer. But I just yeah. see a lot of up-and-coming teams in the AAC. And is Houston going to be able to keep up with that? And let me let me offer this to you, too. Feels like Kelvin Sampson has been pretty well-behaved for a little bit now. Are we going to start to hear some rumors <laughs> flare up of maybe some jobs at a, a bigger school than Houston? Because I think we could. I think we could. Yeah. No, he has been, uh, he hasn't had any phone calls, that's for sure. That I've <laughs> At least he hasn't been recorded um, on them. Yes. So, I I disagree pretty pretty soundly here with you. I, I'm not like, obviously, this is the fun of this, because you're not saying Houston's going to be a bad team, like we have to reiterate. You're just not totally sold on them. I think A lot of people are picking the, them to win the AAC, and I think it's right. going to be Memphis this season. Okay. So I like Memphis. I like Houston better, though. And to me, Houston goes back to what I'm looking for this year, the continuity. They bring back tons of guys, the Grimes, the Mills. I mean, this is this was a good team last year. And Samson's kind of build up this legacy there of they just get the job done. So I, I can't really go too vehemently against them, considering they have balance, they have the history, they have the continuity on their side. The other thing is, they're probably going to win a lot of games. I know they're playing Alabama in the non-conference schedule. I saw they slated that game. But outside of that, I'm not sure what is kind of in their non-con. They were kind of underwhelming, to my memory, in the non-con last year. And then they just sort of caught fire in the American Conference. So with Wichita State down, Cincy's kind of down as well, I, I feel like they're going to end up with a really good overall record and stay up near the top of the polls, just kind of by a product of the situation they're in. And they may I get what you're very saying. well be you're, uh, one of those top teams in the polls. And, and yeah, you're right. They kind of fizzled out a little at the end. They lost three of their last, what is that, six games there to close out the AAC. They did finish with a win against Memphis. Uh, but I, I will say this. I, I just think that you, when you look at the way that the rest of the conference is is moving, I, I think that this is a team that, and, and unfortunately for the AAC, they don't get to play UConn anymore. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Well, UConn, I mean, 
I don't know. I think we have talked about UConn a little bit when we uh, went into James Booknight as a trade tracker, but I'm, I'm kind of in on UConn this year if I didn't make that clear. Anyway, uh, this would be a really good team. Fabian White it tore his ACL, though, this offseason, which is a huge bummer for them. I, I think they've, they've also had a couple guys transfer out, if I'm remembering correctly. So, I mean, you've got Quentin Grimes. I, I really do like Caleb Mills. I think Grimes was underwhelming, but Mills is going to be an um, arguably a, an all-first-team American player for Probably. sure, and arguably yeah. player of the year. Could be actually our guy Jaden Gardner, who is a tray tracker from ECU. He'll be in that conversation as well, I think. But maybe they give it to him or, or someone on a little bit better of a team when it's all said and done. I, I don't know. I, I think Houston's just sort of proven year after year with Samson that they are should not be sort of looked at lightly. And at this point, I'm just willing to bank on their history. All right. Who do you have next? All right. I'm going to go to the West Coast. I got Stanford. And another one of those teams I just seem to always be kind of down on. Similar reasons to Texas. They always bring in a great recruiting class, but they seem to underwhelm. And I thought Stanford last year was just dreadful when they did not have Terrell Terry out there, who is getting a lot of buzz in the NBA draft circles. Yeah, I think we're is. going to talk some some NBA draft preview stuff on this podcast soon as we get closer and closer to that. But when they didn't have Terry, the sort of plus minus numbers and how they looked offensively were not good last year. They really struggled without him. So they lose him this year. And the other thing about Stanford, last year they were really good at defending the three. And that has never been kind of in their defensive principles. They were 20th best in the country at defending the three last year. So I feel like we could see some regression there because traditionally they struggle to defend the three. And I don't know, maybe they proved me wrong in that case, but I look at stuff like that and I try to see, okay, you know, did certain teams just shoot it poorly against them. And I think that could be what happened to Stanford to an extent last year. Pac-12 is not going to be great, so they'll still probably pick off some wins, but they're getting a lot of top 20, top 25 hype. I see them more as a, I don't know, a nine seed, 10 seed in the NCAA tournament, if that. And I just think they'll underwhelm a little bit because again, they have talent. We just have seen them have talent and and not really put it all together. Listen, a team that loses to Cal twice in a season is not worthy (laughs) of any praise. Let's just leave it. I mean, we, we can talk about, oh, could Stanford have made a little bit of a run in the Pac-12? Well, you lost in the Pac-12 conference tournament in your opener to Cal. And quite frankly, it wasn't close. You lost by a dozen in that game. So What has happened to Cal? Like, I, I don't know. Like, remember Jalen Brown? I was just about to say, is Jalen Brown not donating enough money to, to Cal? Yeah. Like what Aaron Rodgers, like, are you not donating enough money to Cal? I mean, all sports for Cal have fallen off the, the edge. So... I don't know. I don't know what's happening there. And I saw they have some COVID flare-ups there. So just in case anyone's looking at, I think we might need to start doing a a COVID segment where we just let people know who is on that 14-day sort of protocol, which this is kind of a whole nother argument, whole nother conversation, but they're going to have to adjust that 14-day thing. I I don't think it's mandatory at this point, and I think some teams are starting to sort of find wiggle room out like Cal, and they're trying their best. But once we get into the season, we're going to get positive tests. We know that. And, I mean, 14 days is is not going to fly. You're not going to be able to just shut down your season and conference play for 14 days. That's like five or six games for some teams at some point. Yeah, I'm really interested to see how basketball handles this. Because 
we don't have a template for basketball because of how no. successful the NBA was. And that's going to be the interesting thing to watch this season because they never had to deal with that. But let's be honest, with these smaller rosters, I mean, you're talking about rosters of 12, 15 guys. And you're in close quarters during that entire time, too. If there's an infection within a basketball program, that thing's going to spread pretty quickly, you'd imagine. I mean, we see it, the the contact tracing, even in the NFL, where, oh, an offensive lineman gets it. Well, now all five of the starting offensive linemen have to go into some contact tracing protocol and stuff like that. And that lasts five days. So that's something that is going to be a very interesting watch for the remainder of this year. Anyway, the I I like your Stanford pick here. I mean, the team, no team is doomed by the fact that the the Pac-12 hasn't realized that the Wright brothers don't fly the plane anymore than Stanford. I mean, <laughs> yeah. look, look at the schedule. If you pull it up on Ken Palm, so Ken Palm pulls the, the schedules and they go, uh, they highlight the, the game in red for a loss, green for a win. Everything's chunked off here. It's chunk, 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 chunk. So, they open the season, they they play their home game with California, their their local home game, and then you've got the Washingtons at home, win-win, all right? Then you move into the the mid-January portion of the schedule, and you you do have your your home and or your away swing down to the beaches to LA. You split with UCLA and USC, and then you've got another game with Cal which you lose. But let's go to February. When you get the Utah-Oregon swing on the road, or the Utah-Colorado swing, I should say, on the road. Loss, loss, all right? Then you come back yeah. home, and it's Arizona State and Arizona. Loss, loss. But then you go, and you you hit up the Washington swing on the road. Win, win. Then you get Utah-Colorado at home. Win, win. And then you get Oregon State and Oregon on the road to close it out. Loss, loss. So yeah, Very streaky. <laughs> yes, a very streaky team. The Maybe the biggest losers of the fact that everything is it comes down to uh, the regionalization of the scheduling. Yeah, and Zaire Williams is going to be really good. He's a highly, yeah, was he highly a top 10 freshman. guy, right? Yeah, so excited to see him. But again, I think they fall into the category of USC for me where they bring in Evan Mobley, and that, that'll be a fun guy to watch. But And I'm sure Stanford fans that are listening are, are you know screaming at me if we do have any listening because... They are, by most accounts, supposed to be better than USC and supposed to be maybe a top three, top two team in the Pac-12. I just don't see it. All right, let me get back to the Big Ten here. And Ohio State, the Buckeyes, I think they're really going to struggle this year. And I kind of feel the same way about them as I do with Indiana, where you look at that giant tier and you just don't have a whole lot of depth on this team. And depth is going to be so important. And they got some pretty bad news that they're not going to get Abel Porter this year because of COVID complications. So he's out for the season. But at the end of the day, Ohio State is going to be Ohio State. Will they be ranked number one in the net to start this year? Probably. But once you start (laughs) getting going in the season, and we saw last year the second half collapse once the calendar flips into 2020, the depth is not there, and it really concerns me with this team. When you look to their bench, all right, Musa Jallo just has not done anything for this team. Justin Aarons has not done anything for this team. You bring in a couple freshmen. You're not going to have Abel Port. Now, you do bring in Seth Towns, but again— but he's kind of hurt, I well, think. I think, yeah, I, think, I believe you're right. But also, it's that whole transferring up thing. He, he was great, but he ha- also has not seen the floor since 2018. 
So that's something that I'm going to monitor with Seth Towns. Could he be super talented? Could he be a guy that puts this team over the top and make me eat my words? Absolutely he is. But C.J. Walker, what are we getting there? I mean, we've been promised C.J. Walker, I feel like, every single season and just have never gotten it. E.J. Liddell, Kyle Young. I mean, those aren't guys that move the meter for me right now. And, I mean, Dwayne Washington's there, but you lose... Some really important guys from this team from a season ago. You lose four of, maybe your four most important players. When you look at the Wessons, both gone. DJ Carton, transfer to Marquette. Luther Muhammad, transfer. That's three starters and your second highest usage guy. The backcorn concerns are there. And when you're losing guys that you really like to use, it's tough. And I I love Chris Holtman. I think Chris Holtman's a phenomenal coach and he always gets his teams to over overperform, but can they overperform for an entire season in the toughest conference in the country this year? That's the other thing. I mean, they were kind of, they weren't sneaky bad. They were just bad in big 10 play. Once they got to it, they had some really rough stretches and, you know, you look back at their season last year when they were number one in the net and they had that great start. They blitzed UNC at the Dean Dome, and that was like the best win at the Dean Dome in X amount of years in terms of margin of victory. Well, turns out UNC stunk, so maybe that was us giving them a little bit too much props there because in Big Ten play, they really struggled. The injuries concern me. A couple of their notes on them. I saw they did pull out of the crossover classic, which is the one at the Pentagon that was the battle for Atlantis, and I think I saw Jeff Goodman report that St. Mary's is likely going to fill in for them there, but they had some COVID concerns that pulled out. And then Jimmy Sotos is the Bucknell transfer for them. He just got a waiver. So insert your John Rothstein watermelon waiver jokes there. (laughs) Yep, absolutely. All right, close us out with your fifth one here. Okay, Um, LSU is my last team. I think I can just sort of repeat what I said against Iowa. I just don't trust the defense. They they were really bad last year defensively, 179th in Ken Palm, 12th in the SEC in defense, and they were fourth in offense. So you know what you're getting. You're getting a high-powered offense. They've got a lot of talent. They bring in some transfers. Sharif O'Neal, LeBlanc comes in from Georgetown. Those are two guys that are only eligible once the second semester rolls around. Cam Thomas is going to be really good. He was a stud from Oak Hill who just puts the ball in the basket. I think he led Oak Hill all time in scoring when he wrapped up his career there, which is saying something given the history of players that have gone through Oak Hill. So kind of like Texas, they'll have talent, but haven't seen them sort of give it, you know, like round it all into form under Will Wade yet. They also always have that cloud over them. I was Which, just going to say, you know, yeah. every concern that you have with a team, oh, like COVID can strike at any second, replace COVID with the FBI for LSU yeah, because th- for that, that. that's what it is for them. It's got to happen at some point, right? I mean, <laughs> like, how can it not? There's never it. been more evidence on the table in a case and it's gone the other way. I mean, like, how, how does Will Wade get away? I mean, I, I just don't get it. Time after time after time. And also, can we discuss another thing? How does Shaq's kid not get a waiver? Yeah, that's a good point. Like, how, how does maybe that he happen? still has a shot. I don't know. But <laughs> that's a fair point, for sure. Because it's LSU, too, and, and the history. I think it's cool that he's going there. And I think he'll be good. He's a talented guy. For those that don't remember, he was at UCLA, Sharif, to start out. And it looks like he's going to be a key contributor for them this year. They've... 
They've got some pieces I like. Wadford's really good. Smart's good. I mean, it's a good, talented roster. They just can't play defense. And like Iowa, I don't. I think that really limits your ceiling if you can't play defense. All right, my last one here. I realized after I got through four of these, I was like, how do I not have a Pac-12 school in here? So I had to, <laughs> and I picked up Arizona. I, I was going to go with Stanford, okay. and, and I liked your Stanford pick there, but I, I am going Arizona here. 38 in Ken Palm to start this season. I've got a question for you, Tim. How many players do you think are returning to the Arizona Wildcats in 2020? Uh, I, I can't even think of anyone off the top of my head. I mean, I know they're bringing in so many transfers, right? They've got um, three transfers joining the team. And then yeah, after Terrell this, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to ask you how many freshmen, but how many players are returning okay. to this team? I'd say, cause you're, you're asking me, it's got to be low. I'll, I'll shoot at two or three. You are, you are half right there. It is three. You've got. Okay. Jamaro Baker Jr. That's Ira concerning. Lee <laughs> and Christian Colico. All right. Now, how many freshmen do you think this team brought in? So they they brought in a deep class, I know. I'll say it's five. They brought in seven freshmen for this season. Oh, my gosh. How many freshmen do you think are in the top 50 in this class? Yeah, I know they don't have a five-star. So I'm assuming like one or... One or zero are in the top 50. One is in the top 50. It is Dallin Terry checking in at 49th in the class. Yeah. They, have they have the fifth rate class, depth, but it's by but... volume only. And I mean, I'm yeah. looking at this. You got a lot of, I don't know if, if Sean Miller went out on the recruiting trail and just zapped these guys and cloned them. Cause he's got three guys that are six, eight, two that are six, six. Uh, you got a six two guy in there, and uh, yeah, so and and then a six ten guy in there as well. So he didn't really diversify the the positions here when he went out recruiting, and he brings in seven guys there, and you bring in Jordan Brown from Nevada, who sure it's the transfer up thing, but Jordan Brown was a top twenty guy back in the day, and and then when the must bus left the good station, player. like he he got out with good reason, and then you bring in James Akinjo who is coming over from Georgetown. You mentioned Terrell Brown, who was phenomenal with Seattle and is coming in as a grad transfer. But this is a team that year after year, I mean, first of all, they lost a ton of really important guys, Nico Mannion, Zeke Naji, but they also lose their focus at the end of the year. We've seen it a lot these past couple of years, whether it's last year, you lose four of your last five regular season games to end the year, or you go to the tournament with the DeAndre Ayton year and they lose to Buffalo I mean, we see it with this team so many times that I think it's finally time to call Arizona for what they are, and th- this is just not going to be a very good basketball team this year, and maybe their their resume will be boosted a little bit by playing some of the softer teams in the Pac-12, but I just don't see them going out and having a super successful season with all the turnover, and let's be honest, you're not going to, a team that is bringing back three guys is not a recipe for success in 2020. Yeah. They also have the FBI thing, like yeah. LSU. I mean, that's, I, okay. that's hanging over them. But are you more worried about LSU, or are you more worried about Arizona just getting fully popped and it actually becoming an issue? Well, Arizona has gotten popped recently, so I'd say LSU. But have they? Um, have they? But, yeah, I mean, they didn't really get popped. You're right. It, it's still, like, we saw the violations. We don't know what it means, and we don't know what their their repercussions are going to be. We just know that it's like a level one and, and it's really severe and it's way more severe than anyone's ever gotten. But 
holy cow, what does it mean? That that's the same conversation we've had forever. I I like that pick. I think Arizona's overhyped, and to me, I just don't know how Miller. He's got like thirteen guys that could play there. So how's he going to figure that out, and who's going to be the alphas? Yeah, I'm looking forward to see how the the minutes gets distributed here. That's got to be that might be the most interesting training camp this year. And also <laughs> yeah. in regards to recruiting here, and them only having one top fifty guy. Do you think Sean Miller maybe dialed it back a little bit because of of the heat that's coming in? Because that's the way I'm interpreting all of this is maybe you dial back a little bit, get the FBI it is convenient. off your ass for it a little, a and then you can dive back into anything. it later. So, yeah. All right, that's all we've got here for today. Next up, what do we want to do next? Let's do the bar bias next. That's that's usually yeah. one of my favorite ones. The team, I love that. and maybe we have to amend the statement this year, given the times and the fact that a lot of people aren't going to bars these days. But the team that you watch. And you just you're you're out for dinner. You're you're watching them. You've got them on the TV, and you're like, huh, kind of like that team. So fun yeah, to root for. Yeah, fun teams to root for. That can actually be good too. So we will do them next on the show. For Tim, I'm Tyler. We will talk to you guys next week. And we let them off the hook. The game was over.